Gracious Father God, we pray please that this morning you would speak to us through your words. Thank you that even as we are separated physically, we're united as your people under your word. And we pray that you would speak to us and shape us now. Amen. In Canaanite religion, Baal was considered the ruler of the gods. He's said to have acquired this position by defeating the terrifying sea god, Yam. The story goes that when Yam sought to become ruler over all the other gods, Baal opposed him and killed him in a fierce battle involving sea monsters and magic clubs. Following his victory, Baal was given a great palace on top of a mountain and assumed his place as the king of the gods. This lady, on the other hand, had a much less successful encounter with the sea. A similar story is found in Babylonian mythology. There, the two original gods, Apsu and Tiamat, produced a load of other gods. But Tiamat, the goddess of the salt sea, found them very annoying and decided to destroy them all. So two of them, E and his wife Damkina, create Marduk, who is greater than all the other gods. He's very confident that he'll be able to defeat Tiamat and demands that when he does, he become king of the gods. So he's given a throne and sits above all the other gods and they give him a scepter and robes and weapons to help him defeat Tiamat, which he then does in another battle involving sea monsters. No magic clubs this time, though. If you've been doing your Old Testament reading plan, then you'll no doubt be familiar with Baal by now. A big part of the reason for God sending the Israelites into exile was because they kept worshipping Baal under the influence of their Canaanite neighbours. Then in Babylonian captivity, they would have no doubt become very familiar with Marduk. Both of these gods would have had plenty of statues and drawings depicting their kingly splendour and power and their great victories against the terrible, raging sea gods. The Israelites, on the other hand, were supposed to be worshipping a god who forbade images of himself, who had no epic stories involving great battles and victories against other gods, and who seemed to have abandoned them in exile. Psalm 93, then, put here for the people as they returned from exile, appears to sort of play on those Canaanite and Babylonian stories to remind the people of the Lord, Yahweh's supreme authority and power over all things. Now today we're unlikely to be drawn to Baal or Marduk, but there are plenty of people and things around us which seem powerful, which seem to us perhaps to be more sure and impressive than God's. All sorts of places we can look for the sort of power and control which will make our lives work the way we want them to. I think mostly we look for that in ourselves. We're convinced we can control everything. Perhaps that's because we rarely have to worry about where our food is coming from, for instance, 
apart from that first month of lockdown when you couldn't buy any pasta. And for the most part, we're financially secure. As soon as lockdown restrictions eased, most of us were still able to get away for a holiday. And just to be clear, a staycation is when you actually stay at home. If you go away somewhere else in the UK, that is still a holiday. Whatever exactly it is, though, we place the weight of our trust and desire for security and control in places other than God's, both consciously and subconsciously. And as we saw last week in Psalm 92, we can even be tempted to give up on God entirely when those who oppose him and what he says in the Bible seem to be in the ascendancy. So we need Psalm 93 to cut down our idols and show us the true strength and power of the Lord our God. Because as the first three words of the psalm tell us, the Lord reigns. Not Baal, not Marduk, not employers, celebrities, prime ministers or presidents. The Lord, Yahweh, is king. So we're going to see three aspects of or lenses on God's reign in this psalm. He is the majestic king, the mighty creator and the eternal ruler. So firstly, the Lord reigns, majestic king. The Lord reigns, majestic king. From verse one, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Now, those first three words are are a bit like a title for this section of the Psalms. So if you remember, we saw last week that the Lord is exalted forever. And at the end of verse four of today's Psalm, the Lord on high, that's actually the same word as in Psalm 92, verse eight, you are exalted. So there's a continuing theme here. Weak Israel, as they come out of exile, need to recognize that their God the Lord, Yahweh, is the only God who reigns on high as the majestic king. So how did he become king? Where's his story of an epic battle? Well, there isn't one. He is from eternity, verse 2. There was no one to battle. His throne was established long ago. Before there was anything or anyone else, there was God, and he reigns. So although verse 1 speaks of Yahweh in similar terms, kind of contrasting with the way Baal and Marduk are described, we must remember that the reality is far beyond what words can describe. The Lord is the majestic king, and we need our minds to be filled with this vision of his glorious robes and unmatched strength. Remember that every time someone in the Bible sees God, they either fall down on their face or die on the spot. This is the sort of majesty and strength we're trying to picture in our minds as we read verse one. A majesty that wasn't earned by winning a battle, but has belonged to God as part of who he is from all eternity. 
It may sometimes appear to us, as it did to the Israelites, that God isn't doing anything or that he isn't in control, especially when the tide of our culture is turning against Christianity and Christians suffer so greatly in so many countries in the world. But we must keep in our mind's eye the reality that the Lord reigns. And although in this broken world, bad things happen, those who oppose God and his people seem to be in control. It will not be that way forever. That line, armed with strength, it's about being ready for battle. The Lord has his weapons in his hands and he is poised to battle evil. So the world is established because the one who made it, who was before anything else was, is established on his throne. He is on high above all things. He cannot be moved. And so neither can the world that he made. This is illustrated for us in verses three to four. So the Lord reigns, majestic king. And secondly, the Lord reigns, mighty creator. The Lord reigns, mighty creator. Verse three, the seas have lifted up, O Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves, mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Now in the Old Testament and across uh, the ancient Near East, the seas represent chaos and evil. They're utterly beyond the control of human beings, as the lady in our clip discovered. And the repetition of the seas lifting up in verse 3 is paralleled with the Lord being mightier in verse 4. And so, kind of playing on the stories of Baal and Marduk, this psalm is saying the Lord, not them, is the one who established the world by defeating the chaotic pounding seas except that the language of defeat isn't quite right when it comes to god because actually verses three and four aren't really describing a battle per se rather this is this is simply a description of how creation happened so the seas weren't actively opposed to god they were just doing what seas do pounding waves God didn't have to defeat them. He made them in the first place. And as we read in Genesis 1, he simply spoke and the waters moved and dry ground appeared. So God isn't mightier than the sea in the sense that he won a battle against it like Mar Baal and Marduk. God is mightier than the sea in the sense that when he speaks, the seas listen and obey him. What is chaotic and uncontrollable to human beings is nothing to God's. And that is might on a completely different scale. Perhaps like Bayern Munich showed against Barcelona on Friday nights. In Job 38, God says to Job, who shut up the sea behind the doors? I fixed the limits for it. I said, this far ye may come and no farther. So the sea was never an obstacle God had to overcome. His throne was established long ago. He is from all eternity. 
when he was, there was nothing else until he created it from nothing. And this is all crucial for a right understanding of the world. That God created everything ex nihilo, from nothing. He spoke and time began. Light appeared, land appeared, life appeared. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When before that, there was nothing. Now, quite straightforwardly, that should shape the way we view everything in this world. Our presuppositions, the assumptions we make as we interpret things in areas like science, geology, anthropology. It certainly rules out Baal and Marduk as rulers. And whatever we think about the age of the earth, evolution or anything else, we must come to those questions with the creator God firmly set in place as our starting point. Psalm 92, which we looked at last week, is designated by its title for the Sabbath day. That title is original to the Hebrew text, but in the later Greek version of the Old Testament, Psalms were assigned to each of the other six days of creation. And Psalm 93 is dedicated to the day before the Sabbath, the sixth day. As we read earlier, this is the last day of creation. When evening comes on that day, the work is done. So Genesis 2 verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and God ceased from all his work. He stopped creating and so the world is firmly established. The stability of Yahweh's throne guarantees and secures the stability of the world he created. Only he can bring things into being from nothing and no creature he has made can ultimately disturb his plans for the world, the order which he embedded in it at the beginning. So the world God made cannot be moved, cannot be altered. That's actually the starting point for all science in the first place. The assumption that the world is constant, that God is upholding all things. So gravity always works the same way. One plus one always equals two. But, of course, after God ceased from creating on the seventh day, the world he had made was disturbed. Sin entered the world. It was broken. And so the seas do rage. We know that from our experience. We've experienced the evil of the world, all of us. There are things that are out of our control as much as we wish to pretend otherwise. And we ourselves, before we are victims of the raging evil in this world, are perpetrators of it. As we look away from the Lord and lift up our voices to name other things and other people as king, most notably ourselves. But all the way from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, God is working to push back the seas. He is robed in majesty and armed with strength, and his final victory is never in doubt. So the world remains ultimately fixed. And the creator achieves that victory by entering his creation in the person of Jesus. Jesus, who himself spoke to the stormy seas and they obeyed him. 
sparking utter terror in his disciples, the Lord Jesus possessed the power of the mighty creator. And when the one who was from all eternity entered the grave, of course it couldn't hold him. So he burst through death. And on resurrection day, the decisive victory in the battle against all evil was won. The way was paved for rebellious sinners to walk through to new life in Jesus Christ. And having ascended to take his seat on his throne, he will one day return and push back the seas once and for all. The book of Revelation portrays this in vivid imageries. And guess what? There are sea monsters. But they are no match for the Lord who reigns. The majestic king whose throne was established long ago. The mighty creator who commanded the seas at the beginning will fully and finally push back the thunderous waves of all evil. Which means, thirdly, that the Lord reigns eternal ruler. The Lord reigns eternal ruler just as god's throne was established from all eternity so it will continue for endless days verse five your statutes stand firm holiness adorns your house for endless days O lords <clears throat> as we saw last week many in the world today don't think god's statutes should stand firm and they certainly don't seem to be standing firm. As most today think of God's commands as outdated at best, or even abusive and oppressive at worst. Last week, Lee Gatiss, Director of Church Society, led the Church of England's central online service. And he was met with vitriol for his biblical views on LGBT issues, with exactly this language of abusive, dangerous, oppressive, And as we hear and see God's statutes being ignored, we can be tempted to believe the bad press. Over the last few weekends, I've been getting back into Formula One as it's come back. Now, just imagine with me what would happen if you tried to drive a Formula One car around the streets of London. Perhaps you're trying to get it up Downshire Hill with all those parked cars. Now, those cars are seriously powerful. They're designed to be driven around a track at 200 miles an hour. So you might imagine a big crash, a few terrified cyclists. But actually, more likely, you just stall it. Think what happens in your, if your manual car gets to around five miles an hour and starts to judder and then stall. On a Formula One car, that would start at a much higher speed. Your car idles at about 500 revs per minute. An F1 car idles at 6,000 revs per minute. <clears throat> because that car is designed to be driven a certain way, namely at hundreds of miles an hour on a track, not at 30 miles an hour on a busy road. In the same way, the Lord has created all things and designed them to work in a certain way. <clears throat> Many today see God's commands as restrictive, leaving them juddering and stalling, missing out on the thrill of the track. But the reality is that the word of God, which set the boundaries for the sea, 
also sets the boundaries for human beings and all life in his world. And they are good boundaries. They are the creator's blueprints for how life is supposed to work in his world. And it's when we ignore them that we struggle, stall and crash. Apart from in three more Psalms in book four, the declaration, the Lord reigns, also occurs in 1 Chronicles 16, when David sings a psalm as the Ark of the Covenant is brought into Jerusalem to be placed in the tabernacle. And inside the Ark were the two tablets on which the Ten Commandments were inscribed. So as you read verse 5, with the imagery tells us that the Lord reigns by his holy statutes, represented by the Ten Commandments, from his holy house, the tabernacle, four endless days. Today, Baal and Marduk are consigned to the annals of ancient mythology. I wonder whether many of you had even heard of Marduk until today. But the Lord continues to reign. Millions of people continue to recognize him as the majestic king. And those who seem powerful today those who oppose and ignore the Lord and his statutes will also one day be consigned to the history books. They will be pushed back once and for all, just as the Lord is established on his throne and the world he made is firmly established. So the church, God's people, are firmly established as they hold to God's words and hold out the gospel to the world. The Lord reigns now through his word. And however much we can struggle to believe it as we look at the world around us, nothing and no one can change that. The one who is enthroned eternally and mighty above all things has established the world and fixed it. He has revealed the order of his creation in his word, in his statutes. And his way will be the way for endless days. When the mighty creator came to dwell among the created as one of us, he lived a life of perfect holiness. He lived the human life the way it was designed to be lived. And when he returns to exact his rule once and for all, the proper order of creation will be restored. The way God designed human life to be, as revealed in his statutes, is the way it will be in the new creation. So no matter how much people oppose God's ways, we must continue to follow him, knowing that God's way is the way to live. And one day, his reign will be fully realized in the new creation. The reign of the majestic king the mighty creator and the eternal ruler. He is the eternal, the only God. He has no rival. And we would do well to remember that. Let me pray. Gracious Father, please fill our minds with this vision of your glory, your power, your splendor, your majesty. And we pray, please, that you would fill the minds of many others, of our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, with this vision. 
We pray, please, that many of our family and friends who don't recognize you as the majestic king would, before it's too late, that they would take their place in your house for endless days. And we pray that you would keep us from being overwhelmed or distracted or impressed with the powerful, those who appear powerful around us. Would you fill our minds in a way that nothing else can, can get in there with your glory. Amen.